0: This is a Soulfire production. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am sitting down with the one and only author of the Conscious Sexual Self Workbook, Melissa Fritchley. I am lucky enough to have gone through my internship hours with Melissa as my supervisor and have such an incredible working relationship with her that I could not wait to have her on the show. We talk about pandemic sex. We talk about planning for sex. We talk about desire and desire discrepancies. So if you or someone you know is having sex, this show is for you, and you'll be able to tell them tips and tricks and awesome things that Melissa shares with us along the way. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear it, and if you have not already, please head over to Apple iTunes podcast app and give the show a five-star rating and review. It allows me to continue to get guests like Melissa for the show, and each review warms my heart. And who knows? Giveaways coming soon, so uh, a review can get you entered for that take a screenshot DM it to me and get entered to win the get psyched giveaway so without further ado let's talk about sex
1: but I'm so excited I remember like writing out I kind of like dream boarded for the podcast like what guests I would want and your name was like top of the list well i mean i have fangirled over you for longer (laughs) than i'm proud to admit just from listening to your shows on the Streamless sex podcast and then going to you did a camps event um Mm -hmm. that i went to with lauren gogarty who's also been on the show actually
0: oh great um
1: and then lauren was like you need to go work with shine a light because melissa is the supervisor there and so totally geeking out on all of the things that you've ever put out
2: ever. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's always so good to hear. you got to need it. Those little boosts, you know. <laughs>
1: totally. Um, so I know a little bit about your background, especially having worked with you or have you doing my supervision and being my supervisor through, um, I almost said undergrad, through grad school. Um, But for listeners, can you kind of explain who you are, what you do, and then we'll kind of launch off from there.
2: Sure. Um, So I'm Melissa Fritchley. Hi. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have a private practice in Santa Cruz, California. And I've specialized for over 10 years now on sex therapy, couples therapy, and mindfulness practices, which for me are about... Connecting to our body and our felt experience more and more. So that's really been a passion of mine. And I um, trained at Process Therapy Institute, which I love and introduced me to kind of non dualism thinking and um, again that present moment ability to be with clients, which is great. And I've been able to be core faculty and adjunct faculty for John F. Kennedy University and Sophia University. And um, I teach mindfulness courses now for Stanford's Healthy Living Program, which has been a really beautiful gift. I get to meet lots of different people that way. Um, I'm also a certified mindfulness meditation teacher, and I'm a writer, and I wrote the Conscious Sexual Self Workbook, which I think we're going to talk about um, quite a bit today. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was, so I took um, the Sex and Sexuality course at JFK, which I think Lauren had inherited from you or inherited some of the curriculum from you um and that was that was when my girl crush started that was when she was like you're gonna get this workbook tell me what you think of it um so can you kind of walk people through what the i know it's a relatively large workbook and we can't cover it all today but kind of what the thought process is or what what the love and attention was going into the sexual conscious the conscious sexual self workbook
2: Absolutely, right. I mean, the Conscious Sexual Self Workbook came out of my teaching time because I taught human sexuality for years to people who are training to be therapists or in the healing um, fields. And what I was really focusing on for people was that they needed to explore their own sexual stories and the ideas and beliefs they had about sexuality and the values, as well as unpack their sexual experiences a little bit. And so the workbook actually came out of these series of questions that I would have people journal about. And they, they kept expanding more and more questions. And so it works people through um, childhood experiences, things that people may not have ever thought of as quote sexual, right? But that beginning of our sense of being in a body and a body that feels pleasure. Um, and then the early messages we got about sexuality in the body, um, about our yearnings and our expressions, our gender, um, those kinds of things. And so it it breaks down kind of these different life phases and the ways that sexuality might show up for you in your life. Um, but really the focus is asking you questions. So people journal um, about their memories of that, about their responses to it. Um, and what people say happens is, one, that they've never been asked those questions before. They've never been asked to think about how their sexuality um, came to be, you know, um, and and how they came to believe the things they believe about it. So it provides a lot of myth busting, which can be really great. Um, and it also just lets people reorient their sexuality to themselves with themselves as their own expert um that they can figure out what's right for them uh, which is really exciting for me
1: yeah for me working through that book was so informative um because there were so many things that were either hiding in my subconscious or creating my narrative around sex and sexuality that I had been that I felt like I had inherited Mm -hmm. at like a very, very young age. Yes. And to kind of paint the picture of, um I think one of the questions is, you know, when was the first time you had like a talk about sex, right? The birds and the bees or whatever talk. Yeah. And I remember journaling and I was like, I had gotten my period for the first time. And my mom's like, so you didn't know get pregnant now, right? And I was like, uh huh. And like, <laughs> that was the talk. And, right. I, and so I, you know, with that being the very first, you know, bringing sex into my awareness Mm -hmm. was so fear-based for me. So I was like, Oh, like if I do that, I'm going to get pregnant period. Like there's no in between, no gray, just like, I'm terrified of this thing. And then marry that with growing up in Mm -hmm. very conservative Area of California, which is kind of funny to say, but there, there are park pockets sure. <laughs> of conservative California.
2: Indeed. <laughs> um,
1: where, you know, going to high school, it was like, if you sleep with too many guys, you're a slut. If you don't sleep with anyone, you're a prude. And, and you know what I mean? It felt like there was nowhere to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving then from that tiny town with my notion of sex and sexuality moving to Santa Cruz, I was like, (laughs) at UCSC, like there's naked people walking around (laughs) and there's like, you know, free love and sex and hugs. And I was so out of my element. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I said, your workbook really, really brought that all to light for me, um, kind of understanding where those stories had come from.
2: I love that. And I love that you're pointing out you know, what feels really important, which is so much of how we learn about sex is through fear based things or through the ways you're not supposed to be and these limits that you're supposed to set on yourself um, and judgments. And that is not, it's not empowering. It makes us feel like we can't craft um, a world and an experience that really fits us. It's, you know, we, we start responding to like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel that. I'm not supposed to do that. And um, it kind of puts these blinders on, you know, in a certain way. And so um, I'm really happy to hear that, that, you know, yeah, you were able to just say like, oh, it it didn't have to be that way. Those were just messages that people were sending to me for their own reasons. And you can give that back to them. You know, (laughs) maybe that's the right sexuality for them. Likely it isn't, but maybe it was. And, and say, I get to choose for myself what, you know, what my values are and what role I want sexuality to play in my life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, how then, I know we talked a bit about this, sh- about this before the show. Um, I think that it is so, it's changing, but it's so much easier, so much more acceptable for men to talk about sex or men to watch porn or men to, you know, be a sexual being. And it doesn't feel the same for women, for whatever reason, whether that's our own insecurity or a societal construct or anything in between. So with things like your workbook, is there any other way that you're kind of seeing women step into their sexual power?
2: I am, and I, I mean, I would, I would just note, I'm not sure it's easier for men to talk about sexuality honestly. <laughs> I think that mm. it's more acceptable for men to joke about sexuality or to express desire to some degree, so long as it fits within the narrow margins of what's considered socially acceptable desire for them. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. But I think that more and more everybody, um, all genders are getting exposed to, a new diversity and the fact that sexuality doesn 't have to fit a particular mold, um, and particularly for those of us who are raised as women, uh, the, you know the sense through, through time has been you know feel bad about your hunger, feel bad about physical pleasure in your body, feel bad about your appetites, you know your body has to look a particular way, and all of these impossible standards are set. And one of the things that that does is it means that we can't trust our own body's impulses or instincts, right? Mm. Which is a huge source of our strength. You know, our body is our vehicle here for figuring out the world and little by little, the ways that that gets chipped away, you know, I'm bad for feeling hungry. I'm bad for wanting that cake. I'm bad for this or that. It's, it's, deeper than just how i'm supposed to look it goes into the sense of i can't trust my own desire when it arises i can't trust what my body wants and it cuts us off from the source of our power and i think more and more i'm seeing really exciting things in in various fields you know i'm seeing exciting things actually in the fields of nutrition and what would have been called diet in the past i'm seeing exciting things like your field of exercise and things like that where it's no longer about you're doing this to look a particular way and you just have to do it like everybody else does it and push through and just do it and all those messages um and it's a lot more about do this so that you can listen to yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can learn about yourself so that do it so that you can feel good when you're done. and do it so that it's an ongoing practice. And I think I'm really excited about those kinds of changes. So we're talking about being in our bodies differently and taking care of our bodies differently is really exciting. Um, And you know, and then sex education has gotten a lot better out there. Um, (laughs) Thank goodness. Yes, at least it's available to us. There's also a really bad sex education um, if we, you know, I mean, we call it that it educates um, out there and there's a lot of misinformation out there, but um, the access, the availability through the internet, through podcasts, through things like that, people can now get sex education, riding home on the bus in their earphones without being embarrassed about it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's opening up worlds for people that are really, really helpful.
1: Yeah, that was definitely, um, you know with the very conservative view that I had on sex for so, so long. Um, And then I started listening to podcasts on polyamory or being monogamish. And I was like, that's even on the menu? Like, (laughs)
0: that's
1: an option? Um, And then almost immediately following that was some shame behind, and I'm curious about it. Um, Do you find that comes up a lot in your practice or people are kind of shameful around what what their curiosity or what their desire is?
2: Absolutely. I think that it's, you know, that's an impulse that, again, has been taught into us in a way is to feel shame or at least feel like our, um, again, our impulses are dangerous. Our curiosities are dangerous. And, you know, sometimes our curiosity does open us up to things that are going to change our lives in pretty dramatic ways. Um, And that can be scary, it can be disruptive, but it can also be so enriching. And I think the more people allow themselves to take little steps that, you know, steps that not leaping yourself off the edge where you feel unbounded and unsafe and really scared, but little steps to say, let's let's just explore this curiosity. Let's just take a taste and see. And then they can have a positive experience. And if they can do that from a place where they're connected and they're mindful with themselves, so they can go slowly enough and say, okay, how is this feeling for me? And that ability to differentiate between what feels risky and what feels actually scary, Mm. right? Because we don't know the difference often. They feel very similar. And in fact, our body responds pretty similarly to, to something that's downright scary. Versus something that's just like that risky excitement, you know, where you're Mm -hmm. still going to, you're going to feel that flush and you're going to feel that quiveriness inside of you. Um, And so I think some of it is people being able to recognize and get comfortable with just that, like, what does it feel like to consider a risk And, and know that I can handle that. I can navigate through that with myself and I can say no and I can slow down and I can do all those things, which, you know, that's also really scary. I think a lot of the times when we're afraid of our curiosity, it's because we feel like we either have to give a red light or a green light and, you know, we may not be ready for a full green light to something. We want to be a yellow yielding, a little slow, you know, (laughs) a little caution Um, and that's okay. but because we're not given good skills, taught good skills about how to communicate our sexual yeses and no's and what about this, and could we try that? Um, it feels really, yeah, scary to explore those things with somebody else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said about exploring how it feels in the body, because when you brought up fear and risk or risky. And I kind of sat with that for a second. I was like, wait a minute, they feel the same, right? Uh I kind of have some tingles on the back of my neck. There's kind of a pit in my stomach. Um, So as you're getting clients to start to recognize these different feelings or different emotions in their bodies, how is it that you then start to trust those feelings or come home to those feelings and explore them in a safe way?
2: Well, some of it is just to know that that, you know, that internal sensation of risk is a sign to maybe slow down and check in with yourself. You know, what am I afraid might happen? Can I do something to address that? You know, um, I mean, if you're feeling risky because you're worried about, say, STD safety, um, there's things you can do, right, to address that. And, take those actions in the moment. And that's a good sign from your body. Like, oh, I want to make sure that these things are taken care of. That's not a risk I necessarily want to jump into. Um, but also just that sense of like, I, I can go slow and then I can check in with both my emotions and my mind. Like, is this something I want to do? You know, what is my expectation about doing it? Am I, am I okay to do it? in a slow way you know yeah. <laughs> am i okay to do it in an awkward way am i okay to do it as a beginner um and sometimes you know those answers are a little conflicting and so you might have to sit with yourself a little bit and say no there's a part of me that still really wants to try this and it's it feels worth it so what do i need to do to feel a little more secure to feel a little more comfortable stepping forward yeah but to I not think too busy about- Yeah, not see that physical sensation as a problem, necessarily. It's information, you know.
1: Yeah, I think um, a lot of what I hear either from friends or clients is that sex needs to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And um, it feels very heady, which Mm -hmm. feels, you know, kind of contradictory with something that is all about our body. So right there, how can we then connect either disconnect from you know being so up here, being so in my head, and drop into my body, or how can I create a connection between the two
2: hmm. well, I mean, I think that is that is such an important part is that a lot of what makes sex less pleasurable for us or makes it difficult for people to orgasm or enjoy sex in the way they want to is that they get in a performance mindset, which is exactly what you said. Like sex is supposed to go a certain way. I'm supposed to behave a certain way. I'm supposed to hopefully look great while I do it, you know, whatever that means. Um, And so, yeah, all of that can just bring our attention up into this sort of planning mode and strategizing mode, which isn't a mode that makes our bodies relaxed and open to sensation. And so in the moment what I would say to people is practicing taking a breath and just consciously bringing your attention back to actual sensation. And that might be the sensation if somebody else is touching you you know that you just get to slow down and, and feel what that feels like to be touched rather than thinking about what am I supposed to do next? what do I look like you know mm-hmm. those kinds of things am I am I going fast enough? am I going slow enough? any of those things would just... What do I actually feel in my body? Does it feel good? Um, and sometimes it means when you're the one touching, you're the one being more active, that you're also paying attention to what you feel in your body rather than just what's going on with the other person. And that that can be a really tricky balance, you know, because we're wanting, you know, oftentimes, hopefully you like the person you're being sexual with. You want them to be having um, pleasure. And you wanna be attuned to them. You know, sex is for many people the primary form of connection. You know, it's the way that they feel closest to someone. Um, and so we're looking for that connection, but oftentimes we can be looking for that connection so much that we're like outside of ourselves now and just paying attention to the other person. And so this sense of how do you have a balance and make sure you're also checking in with you? You know, it looks like my partner's having a good time now can i check back in with me and be like oh i can ride their pleasure because i feel it in my body and i like what it feels like under my hands and i like that what it feels like in my skin Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so it's you know i say the beginning phases of that are really just this conscious decision to keep bringing it back to your own physical sensation and it's like lifting weights like you you have to just keep doing it again and again, you know, and then it becomes more natural. You strengthen that, that skill. Yeah. yeah.
1: It becomes a practice just like anything yeah. else.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: how do, cause I know you work quite a bit with couples and I know that one of probably the biggest, I don't want to say conflicts, but one of the biggest things that comes into the room often with the couples I work with is desire discrepancies. Um, I want to have sex this often, and they want to have sex this often. And so how do you kind of work with that um, as it comes up in your practice?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, it's the most common reason people come to sex therapy, generally speaking, if they come as a couple, um, is that, you know, and exactly as you said, desire discrepancy. So one person feels that they want sex more, more often um, than the other person. And so one of the things I work with is depersonalizing it. By you know, really talking to people and doing psychoeducation around the fact that desire is incredibly complex. Um, we might have been taught again that it was so it was simple, like when our when we're 18 years old and desire is simpler, still not and, as simple. and everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and sort of more readily available. Often, again, not for everybody, um, but that you know desire has all these components of are you feeling physically well are you stressed out have you is the connection with the person good is something else on your mind and so it's rarely actually about the person themselves right Mm -hmm. the partner themselves it's about all these other components in your life that come in and dampen desire or a lack of components of your life that come in and strengthen desire And so with desire um, in general with people, what I'm working with, and and there's a great book, Come As You Are, which you've probably mentioned on your show, Emily Nagowski. And she talks about, I like accelerators and breaks. And so I think this is, it's such a non-shaming, you know, non-patronizing way to talk about desire, which is all of us have different um, makeups in the way that we approach our desire and way desire is fed in our body and develops in our body. Um, they're all unique to us. And we all, we all have things that put the brakes on sexual desire. And some people have more brakes than others or stronger brakes than others. And there's lots of reasons for that. That could be trauma. It could be stressful life. It could just be that their mind is really busy and it's a little harder to get down in the body. It could be lots of things, right? Um, and we all have accelerators too, things that make our sexuality go faster, get, build up that momentum. Um, And those are different for everybody as well. For some people, that's really about connection and conversation and feeling loved by somebody. For other people, it's more about seeing something erotic, porn or thinking erotic thoughts. For some people, it's about being out in nature and working out and feeling in their body. We all have different accelerators. And so when I'm working with couples around, you know, building a bridge between their desires, we're often talking about how can we be more open and aware um, and in charge in a way of our breaks and accelerators but if it's a couple that we're working with how do you support each other in having more accelerators and less breaks right Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's as simple as like hey the sink being full of dishes at the end of the evening is a break. Can you help me with that? You know can you make sure that that, that's not happening as often. Or, you know, hey, an accelerator for me is if we actually have 20 minutes of quiet time before we try to engage because I just need to get my head on, you know, (laughs) like get connected to myself. I need to take a bath, you know, whatever those things may be. And those conversations are just conversations that, again, we weren't taught to have about sex. Mm. we were taught to think I'm supposed to just want sex on demand, like my body is a button I get to just push. Um, And I shouldn't have things that I need to coordinate or orient around. It should just happen or it's a problem, you know, and that's just not the way the adult body works. (laughs) You know, we're just too complex for that. Um, And so just normalizing and helping people take responsibility for the fact that we, we, have many many moments in any given day to build desire and to diminish desire, and some of them were in control of, and some of them were not. Um, but if we can talk about it with partners and we can think about it for ourselves, we can help shape a life that mm-hmm. has more space for our desire.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, and and creating intentional space for it, because yes. um, like you're saying. It's, we don't just have this button that we get to turn on. That'd be that'd be awesome. so convenient that would be, yes. <laughs> yeah, super convenient. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that with COVID, that's even a more in-depth conversation or you're very, very aware of what your brakes are, maybe not even so much of what your accelerators are, when you're with your partner inside for months and months and months at a time. So have you found that to be true? Like, has that been something that you've really had to work on with couples is maintaining desire and, and drive when we're literally on on top of each other and not in the good way.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The pandemic has affected that. I mean, if only simply because we're all under a lot of stress and, um, You know, it's sometimes it's easy to forget because we are humans are so adaptable and good at kind of, okay, this is life now. I'm making this work. We're resilient. We're going along. Um, But the truth is we've all had an incredible disruption to our lives and a scary one, you know? Um, And so we're, we're under stress. Our bodies are under stress. And again, I want to note and highlight that for some people that actually means that their body is drawn to sex as an outlet for that, you know, mm-hmm. so for some people you know desire is high under times of stress, and that 's absolutely natural as well right um, and for a lot of people that isn 't the case you know that really dampens their sexuality and, and it 's not the thing on the top of their minds, although it could be this great resource of stress relief um, but but exactly what you were talking about too this sense of it's hard to feel sexual when you're around each other all the time and you're sort of in the midst of doing the laundry and, you know, helping your kid with school and listening to really stressful news. Um, and so people have had to be much more intentional about how they make space to be sexual and how they make space to transition from one part of their life to another in general. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's nearly impossible, you know, for people in small houses, things like that, um, where there isn't that relief valve, um, it can be really hard. Um, And a lot of the things, I'll be honest, that I used to tell people in couples therapy, like, get out of the house, have, you know, go spend time with individual friends, have individual aspects of hobbies in your lives. They're, they're so hard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And just that sense of mystery, like my partner goes away, and I miss them, or you know, I, I have this little bit of like, what are they doing? And they come back, and we have something to talk about. Um, those things are very hard to come by right now, um, so we're having to find different ways to um, sort of see our partner as mysterious, as another, you know, um, and and on the positive side, it's allowed people to get to know each other better.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And that can deepen things. So um, yeah, there's a lot to say about pandemic sexuality. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can, I like the very scratching of the surface. Yes.
2: Um,
1: How do you honor the individual and who the individual is and then also honor the energy that is the relationship, sexual or not? Um, And, and keep both of those just as important as the other.
2: Well, I mean, I think in some ways it's, you know, the the foundation is there always has to be space for the individual to figure out what they want and to be able to express it. Um, Then there's this bridge that is the couple, right, of how do we collaborate on that? Um, How do we find something that will truly work for both of us and make both of us happy? And again, those conversations often require shifting the perspective from coming back to the beginning of our conversation, the old narratives about how sex is supposed to look. And um, so a lot of times the struggles that we're having are because people are forcing things into, you know, it's it's supposed to look this way, but it doesn't feel right for either one of us or it's not quite working. Um, and so, you know, I see one of my, one of the easiest parts and like most joyful parts of my job as a sex therapist is just to say like, you get to do it totally differently. You can do it in whatever way is right for the two of you or more than two of you, as the case may be, right however many partners are involved in this shared experience. Um, and and so the, the foundational place is sort of what f- can you speak honestly about what you want and what your limits are and so and that's what I mean by the, the space for the individual comes first right. Mm. Um, you need to be able to know yourself and have the time to listen to yourself so that you can say, hey, this is something that I've been thinking about or this is, this is something that isn't feeling good for me. Then as a the couple, you can navigate and, and collaborate on, okay, then what do we need to shift? What do we need to change? Um, and those conversations have to come, have to come from that baseline of I can – I can figure out what's true for me right
1: yeah Yeah. is there um does it almost get overwhelming when you mention like this can look however you want it to look that feels like I was just handed Pandora's box I was like wait a minute (laughs) when it was supposed to look one way I was just figuring out what that was like and now you're telling me that I can actually the world is my oyster I can have this look however I want Right. Um, what is that conversation like with people?
2: <laughs> it is interesting, right? I mean, sometimes those limits and those, those structures, whether we chose them for ourselves or not, are kind of comforting, like it goes right. like <laughs> this, you know? And so a lot of times, um, you know, for example, when I talk with heterosexual couples about this idea of when does sex stop, you know, because for a lot of heterosexual couples, they've been handed this model that says, you know, oh, there's some foreplay quote unquote for which is not a framework that I like because it means it's before something that's supposed to happen. But you know, there's some touching of parts. Then we get to the genitals. Then you know, there there's, has to be penetration and intercourse. Then if the male partner ejaculates or loses his erection, sex is over, right? That's the model that we've been sort of given hand-handed as a heterosexual couple. Um, and so when I say it doesn't have to be that way, there's no reason that sex needs to stop. There's all kinds of sexual things you can do before orgasm, after orgasm, with an erection, without an erection. It doesn't have to include any of those components. It could include other things. People can get a little frozen, right? And there's a sense of, well, then we don't know what to do. And what what I would say to that, and it's it's easy to say, and I understand it's not easy to do, but I would say like, yes, that's the gift of it, right? Is that you sort of in the moment figure out what it is that you're going to do. And there isn't a game plan that you have to follow. And so that means again, that you have to listen to yourself as you're going along and you have to communicate with your partner, right? Um, The downside, the sort of secret downside of that model is like, you don't have to talk to your partner about it. It's just, we are just both assume it's gonna go this way, you know? Mm. And so when I will say to people, like, so how do you decide that sex is over? They look at me stunned, like, well, it's over when, like, we can't have penetrative intercourse anymore. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with sexual connection being over. It has nothing to do with sexual pleasure being over, right? Um, And couples who, you know lesbian couples gay couples that's not the way they work right they have different choices about what they do what their sexual encounter and experience involves um and so yeah there's sort of a stunned uh uh-oh what now you know how do we decide and you know on one hand you could say like so just play with it you know roll some dice (laughs) yeah literally play with (laughs) it (laughs) play a game you know like just and see if you like it and get used to being able to say like oh, this isn't working. I want to change. Let's do something else. Or, oh, I'm realizing now I really want to do this. Let's do that. Um, And get used to that, that communication and letting it be easier. Right. Um, And the other thing I would say is you can use um, chosen boundaries, chosen limitations um, as a sexual building tool. So you might say like, we're not going to do anything with our genitals or we're going to keep our clothes on, but do everything else that we want to do as a fun way to say like, oh, yeah, there's this chosen limit, not for any reason that we have to do it, but because it allows us to explore all the other things we can do. Mm. It heightens the things that are within that chosen boundary, right? Um, And so playing with boundaries can be a way also to, you know, (laughs) strangely loosen your boundaries.
1: Yeah. There is um, one of my girlfriends, her name's Alexa. Um, She's known online as that sex chick.
2: I don't know if you're familiar with her
1: or not, but she created the want, will, won't list Mm -hmm. and the want, and, and it is like the most robust. List that starts like G and works its way through PG, PG 13, and gets into things where I was like, I have to Google that. Like, I don't know. Um, but the idea was a want is like, yes, yeah, I want this. Mm-hmm. A will is, it's not really a want, but if my partner wanted it, I will. And a won't is like that red stop sign, no boundary. Yeah. And I proposed a date night one night where I was like, I want you to do your want, will, won't list
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in private where it feels good and you feel safe and you can Google or you can do whatever you need to do. I'm going to do my want, will, won't list. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to come together and like go through the first page of it. And it created so much conversation and there was no shame. It wasn't like, oh, that's a won't for you or that's a will. Why? And it (laughs) created this like very almost like erotic conversation where it was like, oh, our our clothes are on. I'm not even touching you. And this feels like a sexual interaction just to get to know you on that level.
2: Yes. I mean, and I think that that's something that I find so exciting is this learning that talking about sex itself can be sexy. You know, and a lot of times our early experiences of talking about sex, again, were uncomfortable and shameful and with a parent often who was not equipped and was uncomfortable themselves. And so we got this idea that having to talk about sex is a bad thing. Um, But instead, like if we can develop a way in which talking about sex itself is fun, and is revealing and is sometimes exciting, um, it makes things so much better. And we have so much more freedom and room to roam, right? Because then we can discover Mm. all kinds of things about ourselves. Then we can talk about things we don't want to do but might fantasize about, which is a whole nother category that I would add to that list, right? Like this is a fantasy that I like thinking about. And I might like seeing or having brought up in conversation while we're having sex or um, you know, sex talk in this way, but I don't actually wanna do the things themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have fantasies that we don't personally wanna enact, but they serve as a turn on, right? And so it, when we can allow talking and conversation and sharing about sex to be part of the sexual experience, um, it gives us so much more room so much more liberation
1: yes. yes I was talking to it's so funny because I think that I've slowly become the girl in the friend group that like everyone's like Lindsay's here let's talk about sex
0: um,
1: which is so funny but I'm like okay I'm here for it y'all want to talk about it you don't have to wait for me to be here but you know I, I'll facilitate this conversation sure um, one of the things that I was talking to with one of my girlfriends is I said, you know, you also need to own your orgasm. It's not fair for you to show up to a sexual encounter because her complaint was, you know, my partner isn't satisfying me. Mm-hmm. And my follow up question was like, well, are you giving him the tools? Like, is he That's just right. stabbing in the dark here or... Right. Or does he have a roadmap? And she was like, well, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And it was so clear in that moment that, and I don't, I think, it, you know, my lived experience growing up as a heterosexual female, like, I didn't feel like I had the the stage or the, the option to even tell someone what I wanted. Right. Um, That didn't seem like an opportunity. So is that something that you also see come up as people being shocked by the fact that like, Oh, someone wants to hear what my desire is or someone, you know, I, I need to know my roadmap.
2: Right. I mean, absolutely see that. And I think that, you know, even the way we talk about sex, like, you know, my partner made me come right. Like gave me an orgasm, those kinds of things. There's this separation of the idea that, um, it's actually our body ourselves that opens up to orgasm that has the pathways to orgasm. And, you know, we, again, me and we also have this separation between masturbation as this thing that we do when we can't have partnered sex, which is such a sad thing because masturbation is its own expression of sexuality all on its own and can be so rich and so valuable for people. Um, but you know, we, we put this yearning for sexual release, if that's orgasm or, or in other ways, um, on this idea that it has to be connected to partnered sex, and therefore it's our partner that, that provides that for us, right? Which is a setup for resentment and frustration and all kinds of things. Um, and it also makes it hard to have this belief that I actually can say, like, hey, these are the things that, that work for me, this is what I know about my own capacity to orgasm. This is what I know about what really feels good. Um, again, it comes down to, it's, it can be very hard for people to even have words for what they're feeling when they're sexual. What, you know, words for parts of their body, words for their genitals. Um, and so sex therapy can be really helpful for that. It, just that that coaching of, it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to say clitoris. Mm. It's okay to say, you know, um, i like it slower faster whatever the case may be um and and getting yeah just getting used to this idea that it can be a back and forth that you get to have a say and it's not something that is done to you or for you or any of those Mm -hmm.
1: things
2: yeah
1: yeah i think that there's also a lot of things that we can do that are within our power whether that's here during the pandemic, or when life gets back to whatever the quote unquote, new normal is going to be. There's so many things that are subconsciously sexy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that I've, I've heard you talk about it, so I don't want to steal the conversation away. Um, but when you talk about planning for sex, like, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard about that, I was like, that sounds like the most Daryl thing like I just show <laughs> up at 7:30, like all right we're gonna do this thing all right um, so how do you you know actually successfully plan for sex and keep it sexy and fun and all the things that we have you know categorized as sex
2: yeah, well, I mean, um, one thing I say to people is like, absolutely, it is unsexy if you show up for sex like it's a doctor's appointment. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm in this room now. We take our clothes off. Like, that's it's not very sexy unless you're playing doctor um, doctor games, which you know is <laughs> sexy on its own. But
1: that's on the not, table,
2: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's something different. Um, but what I say about planning for sex is that first and foremost, it's we do plan for sex dating itself is planning for sex right when you're beginning to date someone you make time in your week to spend specifically with them where you're only going to pay attention to them you probably get dressed up and make yourself smell good or whatever you think needs to happen and you plan to go and be with that person it doesn't mean you know we're going to have you know do these behaviors tonight but you're thinking you might and you're definitely making room in your life for that to happen. Right. Um, and it is sexy. Right. I also say to people in, in the same way, like a lot of people who are having affairs, that is very planned sex. Mm. It's planned often to the lunch hour timeframe. Right. right. Um, it is maybe needing to rent a room. It's doing a lot of things to make that happen. And, you know, not talking about the moral values of that, but that is often quite sexy, right? Desire is high. Many of us have fantasies about those things. So planning for sex can totally be sexy. And in fact, we do it all the time. That's what makes our sexuality work, right? And so when, it, when I think about planning for sex, it's not like I'm scheduled again and I and I go and I just take off my clothes and again push the button and we have sex. It's that I'm planning to make space because sex is important to me in my life. I'm planning and thinking throughout my day. What do I need to do to be ready and available to be sexual? Which might mean like I, you know, I take a walk throughout the day. I eat a smaller meal before you know I get home, so I'm not yeah. super full. I mean,
1: Indian food, yeah, <laughs> right,
2: right, right. You know, like that literal like making space in your life for this. And, you know, we, again, it's that mythology that if you want sex enough, it's just going to happen spontaneously. Um, But in reality, to me, that's like saying, I want to get in shape and I'm just going to work out whenever it occurs to me. Like I'm probably not going to get in very good shape because I have to plan my life to say I'm going to have time to do this. right? Right. To be sure, I have the equipment I need. The privacy, you know. So for sex, same thing. I you need to have privacy. You need to feel like your body is um, able to get in a relaxed state. You have to kind of help yourself into the mindset, you know. And and for couples to really make that work, if that's you know, and I definitely recommend that people have a night of the week that they're like, we know at least that this is time where we're going to have privacy. We're going to have some time together. We're going to be able to do this. Um, That also, you know, that includes like flirting about it during the day, sending texts about what you're looking forward to or what you might want to do, or just that you're looking forward to it, just that your partner knows like, this is something I look forward to, you know? Um, And then, you know, and then you have that whole arena, which we already talked about, which can be stressful or great, which is, that doesn't mean we know what we're gonna do when we get to that time right? We get to decide in the moment what we're going to do. Right. Um, And one person might take the lead on that. You know, one person might say, I'm going to, I'm going to take the lead this week and set a stage, set a tone, you know, Um, or it just might be that we sit around and we, we talk first and say, what are you feeling? What are you feeling like doing? Right. But you set, you set the time, you plan for it by, by making it important in your life. It's something you value.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I feel like the common thread throughout this conversation has been bringing awareness to it and bringing intentionality to sex, not just this miraculous thing that happens when two people walk into a room. Sure, sometimes that happens, but <laughs> <Yes>. not always. <laughs> yes. Not Not even close time. to always. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so if people want to start taking that step right this conversation inspired them or or brought into their awareness saying like I really do go on to autopilot when it comes to sex or I do have all of these preconceived notions of what it should look like or be or feel like um if people want to start stepping into making sex a more conscious act where's a good place for them to kind of start
2: um, well, I mean, the Conscious Sexual Self Workbook is one, and come as you are. I recommend that to so many people. Um, and also just maybe, you know, looking for, there's, if you look up ethical porn online, you're going to find a, a lot of it is, you know, homemade porn by people who are real couples, who, you know, are enjoying themselves, who are connected. It's not, you know, I think we have an idea of porn that it's a particular way through the model of an industry. Um but there's a lot more variation out there now with people with diverse bodies with people of different sexualities and sexual expressions um and gender expressions so that can be a place to explore and even just to get ideas like you know what does work for me um and the other thing i would say is to masturbate to have time with yourself right where you engage in maybe fantasy where you explore how your own body feels even if that's just in the shower for five minutes in the morning because that's all the time you have to be alone. And again, pandemic, I understand. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, get get some lotion that you like the feel on your body, you like how it smells and just, you know, spend some time with your own body, right? Um, which is a, a gateway, hopefully, to the sense of what are your accelerators? what What feels good to you? What helps you feel like you want to be? in your body and feeling pleasure. Um, and that those are good places to start. But the truth is it takes it takes time to let your mind be there. If your mind's filled all the time with other things, so many of which are potentially not that sexy, right? <laughs> that have to be on our mind. Um, then, then it, yeah, there's just not that space and it gets kind of squeezed out of our being, you know, and our consciousness. And so how do you give yourself more space? You know, you might feed your sexuality by laying out in the sun for an hour, you know, and just letting your mind wander. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those kinds of things, the, the freedom of your time, the, the downtime actually feeds your sexuality. <sighs>
1: I loved all of that. There's still so much that I want to touch on and chat about. And I know that we are up at about that hour long moment. um, And I want to keep people engaged and coming back for more. So I really hope that this isn't the last episode we do that we can do more. Uh, Yeah. But if people want to work with you, they want to connect with you, they want to get their hands on the conscious sexual self workbook. How do they do that?
2: Um, so the Conscious Sexual Self-Workbook is available on Amazon. If you don't want to use Amazon and you're in the U.S. where I can ship to you, you can email me. Um, and my website is mf-therapy.com. Um, and that, that'll that hook you up to my email and all of that. So you can ask me if you want me to mail it to you directly, and that's fine. Um, and yeah, all my info's there. So yeah, you can learn that's more great. about me. Yeah.
1: Well, I will link all of that in the show notes. Melissa, thank you so, so much. And I'm already racking my brain for the next time that we can do this.
2: That sounds good. It'll be fun. (laughs) Thank you so much.